hearts that are that are prepared to hear from you, that are that are open to to um, just the the watering of the spirit and the word of God planted in them. In Jesus' name, Amen. Oh, I uh, I I started a, a diet this week, which I don't enjoy. Um, and I uh, it's because I have high cholesterol, so I get to change my eating habits. Uh, Apparently, I'm, I'm not young enough to do that anymore. Uh, I know you're thinking, but at 25, how could that be true? Um, and I, I read, I, what, what? I, <laughs> I, I read a couple of, uh, I read a couple of books this week on, on the eating plan I'm supposed to be following to lower, lower my cholesterol. And the, and, and I, I picked up a phone app to track my eating and, and I've done all of these things because what, I, what I'm good at up front in every project is preparation. What I'm bad at, conversely, is follow-through. Um, and actually, I did really well yesterday to a point <laughs> where I, I was very careful and I got my measuring cups out and I figured out it, you know, and I, I finally got to the, the last part of the day where um, I, I actually packed dinner. It wasn't a really like complete dinner, but, but it was enough to eat to keep me tidied over until I got home. Um, and we went out to the Pearson's way, way out there. They had this pumpkin patch thing and, and we, we did all this stuff with the kids. And, and, um, afterwards we, uh, well, we're going to feed the kids dinner now. And they had a barbecue set up and you could buy dinner. And, and so I said, well, you know, I should probably just go ahead and have a, have a hamburger with the kids. Which I did not know was was a bacon hamburger. It was a, you know, apparently, I I didn't plan that, but that was the beginning. And I took all the chips off my plate, and as I was eating, my kids weren't eating, and so I started eating off their plates because that's you know, that's like dad duty. I mean, if you were a dad, your responsibility is to steal food from your children, like like the mighty wolves. Um, <laughs> and and then when they don't finish, to finish their food because wasting food is sinful. Um, yes, exactly. That's, that's in Proverbs, I think. Uh, <laughs> so, um, I, after eating two hamburgers and a hot dog and a large pile of chips, I, I had buttered popcorn when I got home and my wife and I sat and watched a movie. And, and, and by that point it became clear that, that I was doing two things at once, right? Everybody kind of get where I'm going here? I'm trying to stand on this side of the fence where I'm like going to live to be more than 45, and on this side of the fence where I'm going to enjoy living to 45, and that'll be it. You know, but but the problem is that like like this doesn't work, does it? I mean, I can't do half a day. Like I ate terrific egg white omelet for breakfast. You know, the whole night, I mean, I was good. I ate, I ate vegetables, like raw vegetables as my snack. I, I ate almonds. I ate, you know, I did all this stuff until dinner time. And then, you know, well, yeah. Can, does it work? Is, is that going to be successful? Really? No opinions? <laughs> it depends on your goal, Eric. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm having trouble with my slides here. They're not cooperating, so I got to. Uh, kind of go off the cuff here for a moment. I'm sorry. Um, 
Am I up there? All right, so a little background on the message today um, before we go diving into our text. Um, it'll give me a second here to restart. Uh, we're go- working our way through John's epistle, and, and this week what John is going to talk about is sort of this idea of standing in both, standing in both worlds and, and the problem with it. And we'll, we'll get into like what the problems are because John does a really good job of it. Uh, better than I will, but John um, um, is writing this letter. John was Jesus' favorite disciple, and actually he sort of plugs that in the beginning of the letter. Last week we kind of covered the introduction, and we found out that this letter is about like some false teaching that was going on and dealing with that, um, and John is sort of working into this, but he also talks about fellowship being sort of the goal, fellowship in the body of Christ, right, like amongst each other and fellowship with God, and that this is sort of this objective of John's letter is to repair these rifts and these damage points in order to reestablish this fellowship. And so, like, this is where John is going. Uh, last week we looked at that as our topic. And then the other thing we got to talk about just real quick is the idea of light and darkness. John is, um, of the Bible, like the New Testament writers, like like Paul is sort of a world-class scholar, right? I mean, of the first century thinkers, Paul is kind of kind of at the top of the at the top of the heap. He was brilliant. He was he was um, like a wordsmith. He was everything and more. A little like me. Wow, nothing. <laughs> Is anybody? Wait? I'm sorry. I'm stalling a little bit because I'm trying to get my slides to work again. Um, but he talks about light and darkness, and he sets sort of this contrast between them. He does this in his, in his gospel, and I really quick want to read a little bit of this. Like This is from John 1, which we uh, worked through much of John last week. I think I got it. Um, thank you, beautiful. Uh, all right. Um, John 1, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man who sent from God whose name was John. And he came, he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet he, did, he was not known to him. They were not, excuse me, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Um, and so, I'm sorry, I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but like kind of as a, as a beginning there, John is talking about light and darkness. And we all understand light and darkness, right? Um, Titus got a new nightlight. And he was moving it around the house this week so that he could light up different sections of the house. And, and like, oh, look, there's light in the hallway now. Well, it's daytime, son. Like, but, you know, look, there's light here. Light is sort of this presence of, of, of light, and then darkness would be the absence, right? Darkness is in its own entity. It's an absence of light. Um, so for John, this symbol, and it just gave up on me again. Um, here you go, honey. <laughs> uh, I'll just preach in the text. How about if you just control the slides for me and we'll call it even? Um, or not. Uh, we're going to start in John, 1 John. So if you have a Bible in front of you, it's probably not on the screen at this point. Uh, so you're going to have to either listen to me. <laughs> Sorry, guys. There's one true thing about technology is that it will always, always, always make your life harder than it actually makes your life easier. Right? Pretty sure it's yours. 
<laughs> All right, so this is 1 John chapter 1, uh, starting at verse 5. This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. So now watch this. John is making it very clear up front, first off, that we heard from him, meaning that this is something that Jesus told me straight away, right? John knew Jesus. He was Jesus' closest friend. Uh, He referred to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved, like they were tight. Um, And John is saying, Jesus himself told me this as a starting point. Um, So kind of to magnify the importance of this, um, God himself is light. Does that mean that God is like the sun? No. Okay. Um, Light is a symbol at this point, uh, referring, referring to life. Okay, in the passage I read and in much of the Gospel of John, um, light sort of is interchangeable between Jesus himself and life, right? Like eternal life specifically. Um, It goes back and forth in the Gospel of John because the idea is that the light came into the world, meaning eternal life, new life came into the world, and it came through Jesus who brought it because Jesus is life for us, right? Um, If you intend to be alive spiritually, and alive for eternity, like, like if you want this, Jesus is it, is sort of John's point. And John drives this idea over and over and over again. And so here he says, look, um, God is light, and in him there is no darkness. Well, what does this mean? Well, it's talking about this idea that God is life, right? All life that exists comes from God, right? Um, if you... If you back it up far enough, like God is the creator of all things. He is the creator of all life. He brought all life into existence. He is the source of that life. And um, in him there is no darkness, meaning like God is not bringing death into the world. God is not associating with death. Now, this gets really tricky when you talk about Jewish folks because Jewish folks understood that sin could not be in the presence of God, right? A little like um, darkness can't be in the presence of light. You turn on enough light, there aren't even shadows. Does that make sense? Like you, you shine light from enough directions and there is no darkness any longer. And that is the way it is like with God's sin, death, the whole nine yards evaporate before him because it cannot be in his presence. God is, is a little like a fire that consumes in that regard. Does that make sense? Like if I throw a book in the fire, that book is gone. It might take a little bit, but it, like the fire is going to eat the book. Like it's going to be consumed by it. And God's holiness, God's purity, God's like otherness consumes death and it consumes darkness um, and evaporates it, like, like vanishes it from existence. And so like John starts out here and he starts out with a very strong statement. God is light, meaning life, purity, holiness, the whole nine yards, and nothing else is associated. We go on, and this is important. Like I know I'm kind of beating that to death. But it's important because, watch this, like, the rest of this passage is going to hinge all on this, right? And so it's very important you all understand where we're starting, like what the big idea here is. Um, True light is this life that comes from God. Um, If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. Now... Um, the most common read on this, like if you read scholars, is that he's talking about sin. Like, so if I claim I'm walking in God, but I continue to sin, then like I, I'm, you know, then I'm lying to myself. And that's actually not what this text is saying. It's close, but it misses the bigger idea. Um, what this is referring to is walking in light means walking in life, 
meaning walking in this new life that I get in Christ Jesus. Um, I, it's, the easiest way to explain this is almost through experience. I, I, uh, I can think of whole stretches of my life where everything was screwed up. Can anybody relate to this? You know, where, where I thought about myself, I was angry more often than I was not, I was bitter, I was um, like dying inside constantly, I, I, you know, I drank to anesthetize myself so I didn't have to think about it, I you know, ran away from God constantly, this is the life that I lived. And I did not walk in life because I was not really spiritually alive, right? I was separate from God. I may have said things that said, oh, well, I'm, I'm good with God. I may have projected an image. I may have carried around like this weird mask saying like, I'm okay, I'm spiritually good. But in reality, I was not. Because light is a reference to walking in Christ and becoming like Christ. It's being alive and becoming what we were meant to be. Is everybody with me or have I confused you yet? Um, if I am walking in darkness meaning I'm walking in death, in spiritual death. I'm lying to myself. And folks do this all the time. Actually, the, um, I was going to open with it, and I went back and forth about where to use it. I read this great novel this summer, uh, Crime and Punishment. It was written by uh, Fyodor Dostoevsky. And I watched Michael perk up because it's a Russian. And Michael's like a Russian novelist. Um, Dostoevsky wrote about this guy, Raskolnikov, right, which is a really awful name. Um, but Raskolnikov was a student, and he decided that he was better than everyone else in the world, right? Like that he was like Napoleon. He was a greater man than ordinary men. And so he stopped going to school because, like, well, I, it's, I'm better than this. And he stopped going to school, and in the process of, like, like um, trying to get by, he starts pawning things, and, like, he doesn't work. He just lays around and thinks all day about how great he is. And then one day, like, he decides, you know what? The lady I pawn stuff to is wicked, she takes advantage of people, and she's um, bitter and mean and horrible and everything else. Um, she does not deserve to live. And as a person who is better than everyone else, I have a right to kill her and take everything she has. And so he does. And then he, the rest of the book, he's constantly telling himself, I'm different, I'm better, I'm this, I'm that. Like I, and he has this belief of superiority, but he constantly feels awful about it. And like, he feels guilty and he feels ashamed and he feels, and so he tries to live in this like, I am better, but he's just not. He tries to lie to himself about what he is, but none of it's true. Like, and you can lie to yourself and lie to yourself and lie to yourself, but at the end of the day, like, like what it results in, it, it makes you small. And it makes you cold and it makes you empty. And you've got to push people away because people have a bad habit of revealing the fact that you're broken. Isn't it true? You know, like, the, you want to know how you're doing, ask your wife or your husband, right? Because your spouse sees you every day up close and they know what's really going on. Like, you cannot lie to these people. Like, they know. And in this case, like, what we're seeing here is this idea that, um, like for Raskolnikov, he, he lived a lie and tried to make it happen. And there are believers, there are Christians, there are folks every day who will say, I, um, I, I'm in fellowship with God, but they rebel. Or they, they, they choose other things. Um, and we'll kind of come back to that, actually. I, John does a really good job, and I don't want to get ahead of him. Um, but if we walk in the light, he is in the light. 
we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, watch this. What John is saying is, um, if we walk in the light, meaning if we walk in this new light, Jesus is this new life, right? He is the source of this new life, and he is constantly in this eternal life. Which, by the way, is why light here is not a reference to Jesus, because Jesus is now another person in the, he's the he. Got it? So he's like, hey, if we walk in this new life with Christ, we have fellowship with one another, meaning we can be connected to one another in a whole other way, meaning we are one spiritually. I'll tell you, the thing that, this is an aside, a rabbit trail, I know it's uncommon. Um, there was a stretch of time in my life when I, when I, like when I was young, before I started like going to church, where I just I felt isolated, man. I felt like I was the only person in the world who was like me, and I like nobody connected with, and I was I was very alone, and it was miserable. And like I started going to church, ultimately, like in the very beginning, because people there treated me different than anyone else. You know, I people were loving, and I felt connected to people, and like I had conversations with people who were like like genuinely interested and and cared about me and couldn't gain anything from me and didn't make fun of me and didn't like they were just different, right? And that connection is fellowship through the Holy Spirit. It's fellowship through the shared life that we have, this light, this eternity. Um, If you are struggling in your relationships, um, like in your marriage, if you and your your wife or your husband or whoever are, are both believers, this is something you can always come back to. We have this life in Christ, this light that we share, and we can always come back to this. If everything else is broken, we got this. You know, we have this shared value, and we can live out of it. And this is sort of the point, like, anyway. um, And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, sin is death. Like, I rebel against God, I break our relationship because of my sin, and I live in death. And sometimes we live in this idea that I need to repent for this, and I need to repent for that, and I need to repent for this, and if I don't remember all of them, God will step on me. Right? It's actually not the way it works because... What sin is, is it's a state of brokenness and separation from God, meaning God is here, and as long as I live over here, I am in sin. As long as I'm not walking with him, as long as I'm not living in harmony with him, as long as I'm not in relationship with him, I am in sin and in death. And, like, individual behaviors are offenses against God, but it is still a state of sin, like, separated. And so, like, when we talk about this idea that the um, blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin, what he's talking about is, watch this, um, Every sin I commit, every sin you commit is associated with death. And God, if you look at the Old Testament, God demands payment for sin, right? You know, and that's that eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, right? How many of y'all love that when you start talking to folks who tick you off? Like, <laughs> this is a guideline for how justice works. You poke someone else's eye out, you get your eye poked out. You kill someone, you get killed. And some sins, like, you know, crimes would be, like, bigger. You know, you commit this, this happens. And so there's always sort of this retribution. With sin against God, the punishment is death. Like, we are separated physically, or, excuse me, spiritually, we are separated and dead. Jesus takes punishment, meaning he was this perfect man who never sinned, who, like, like was, was perfect. He was the Lamb of God. He came, and, like, on the cross, he gets nailed to the cross. He gets tortured to death. He dies slowly. And every moment of that death, God was looking on his son, on Jesus, and he was seeing my sin and your sin, right? So, like, the anger you carry in you, the bitterness you carry in you, the resentment you carry in you, the, the 
indulgences, those websites you visit that you're not supposed to, the, the ways that you lie to the people around you, all of this stuff. Like, God looked on Christ and he saw that and he poured his wrath, his anger at us out on him. He takes the bullet for us is kind of what it comes down to. And as we walk in the light with Christ in this new life, we stand by Christ. He sees new life in us. He sees Jesus. He sees that righteousness that Jesus had. And we're forgiven as a result. Like, and so it says, cleanses us from all sin. That's what that's about. Like he's saying, um, if we walk in light, we're walking with Christ, and his blood forgives us. Meaning we are made brand new. We're brought from a state of death to a state of life. That means that when I rebel against God now, I do not break my relationship with God. Can I break my relationship with God? You bet. I could wander away from it right now, right? I could decide, you know what? I'm done with this. I'm going to do whatever I want. You know, I'm going to chase after sin. I'm going to, you know, live my own life and abandon him. Like, you can do that, and, like, you can break that relationship. You can abandon it. And this blood, like, like that washing is, is um, predicated on this connection we have with God. Um, And so, like, John lays it out. This is what relationship with God looks like. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So, like, he's kind of moving through a basic set of ideas. We're at this point now where, like, he's sort of addressing a false teaching, right? And this is probably, like, there were a lot of early groups that presented this idea that, like, I don't sin, I don't need to repent, right? Um, And in reality, like, it's just not true. Like, we all, we all rebel against God. We do. We do. We can lie to ourselves and say, this is okay, like Raskolnikov. I killed these people, but it was okay. He knew it wasn't, but he was lying to himself, right? I am stuck in this horrible place, but it's okay because I'd rather have this. It's just not true. I'm stuck in death, but, like, it's all right because I want this. No. God designed us for better. And, you know, what's amazing is that he doesn't demand this, like, pound of flesh. We always assume, well, I have to dress the right way and walk the right way and carry a 30-pound Bible and do this and do that and do the other and, like, all of this stuff. And in reality, this is this gift that God gives us. It's this blessing that he gives us. It's, you know, my kids, I love talking about my kids because it's, it's such an easy analogy, which is, I think, why God talks about himself being the father. Um, there are days my children do things that make me want to strangle them. Is it true? Do you all have, I mean, I'm not the only one who has this, right? <laughs> I was waiting for an amen out of, <laughs> out of Cece there. She kind of, uh, there's never a point in time my kids come back to me and we're reconciled, right? No question. Like, my kids are always welcome back. You know, my kids, they could do anything. And no matter what they do, no matter where they go, they will always be my children. And there's nothing they can do to make me love them less, right? And this is the way it is with the Father. doesn't matter how rotten you are. There's nothing you can do to make God love you less. There's nothing you can do to prompt God to abandon you. God will always forgive, will always bring back, will always accept back. Um, And John is making a powerful statement here. He's saying, listen, don't lie to yourself. Don't say that, like, you have no sin. Don't, like, pretend that you're okay. Um, Don't ignore it um, because it doesn't work. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just and forgives our sins and, um, and to cleanse our righteous, or excuse me, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Um, 
Now watch this. Here's where this gets tricky. And I, I have a line here, a section. Um, have you all ever heard of Dietrich Bonhoeffer? Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a Lutheran pastor, right? Uh, in Germany, uh, uh, like a German Lutheran, go figure. Um, and he, uh, during World War II, he spoke out against Hitler and was eventually put in a concentration camp and executed. Or he was hung, I believe. Um, and, and he uh, actually didn't have to, is the craziest thing, because he had escaped. He had gone to England and lived there. He lived in the United States for a little while. And in the end, he said, it's my duty. I can't take the easy road. I have to serve the people of God in, in this nation. And he went back to Germany and preached against Hitler. I mean, holy mess. Like, <laughs> I, uh, that is next level, right? And Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he wrote this book. This is Life Together. It's about, um, it's about the church. It's an excellent book. Um, I, I read it this summer. If you all want to read it, ask me. I'll loan it to you. Um, but he talks about confession, and watch this. Um, oh, gosh, I want to read the whole thing. Yeah. Um, in confession, a man breaks through to certainty, uh, meaning certainty regarding the fact that we are forgiven. Why is it that it is often easier for us to confess our sins to God than to a brother? God is holy and sinless. He is a just judge of evil and the enemy of all disobedience. So what he's saying here now is... God is big, and he is scary, and he hates sin, right? This is the God who poured fire out on Sodom and Gomorrah. This is the God who, like, if people walked up his mountain and tried to touch him, they would disintegrate. This is the God who, like, if you touched the, the Ark of the Covenant, like, you would die. Like, like you, this is a God who is downright terrifying. Um, C.S. Lewis maybe puts it best, right? Like, when he talks about the lion Aslan, and uh, one of the children asks, well, is he, is he safe? <laughs> no, he's a lion, but he's good. God is not safe. And we live, sometimes we get into this idea, we see Jesus with a mullet and the soft lighting and everything else and holding lambs and all that, and we forget the fact that God like, God takes sin very seriously. This is not a small thing. God is, God is, you know, like he didn't send his son to die for us because it's like, oh, well, it's cool. Just ignore it. Like, God is serious. He is serious. And like, he is worth being afraid of because he is serious. And like what, what Bonhoeffer is saying is, look, we confess our sins, but a lot of times it's easier to confess to God than to confess to each other because, um, for whatever reason, it's easier to confess to God. But like, that's probably because we forget the fact that God is scary, right? Like that God is nothing to be taken lightly. Um, Paul says we should work our salvation with fear and trembling. He's saying that because God is scary, um, all right, so God is holy and sinless. He is a just judge of evil and the enemy of disobedience. But a brother is sinf- as sinful as we are. Um, he knows from his own experience the dark night of secret sin. Right? Anybody know from experience the dark night of secret sin? Carried something around and you're like, man, I hope nobody ever finds this out about me. You know, we keep it hidden and we keep it locked away. And it, like his point here is, by the way, I can confess to God this secret sin, and that's fine. There's no shame or fear in that. But if I mention it to another person, I could never do that. Anybody relate to this? Um, 
why should we not find it easier to go to a brother than to a holy God? But if we do, we must ask ourselves whether we have not often been deceiving ourselves with our confession of sin to God, whether we have not rather been confessing our sins to ourselves and also granting ourselves absolution. And it is not the reason, perhaps, for our countless relapses and the feebleness of our Christian obedience to be found precisely in the fact that we are living on self-forgiveness and not of real forgiveness. Self-forgiveness can never lead to a breach with sin. Um, this can be accomplished only by the judging and pardoning word of God itself. Um, we can give certainty to that, and that in the confession, the forgiveness of our sins, we are not dealing with ourselves, but with, our, with the living God. God gives us this certainty through our brothers. What Bonhoeffer is talking about is he's a big advocate for confessing sin to each other, sitting down and saying, this is how I screwed up, right? How miserable is that? I remember when I was really stuck in rebellion, when I was really, like, spiritually dead, and I say that on purpose because I was spiritually dead, and I was a minister at the time, which is crazy because I'm a huge hypocrite, um, but I was not spiritually alive. I was, I was, you know, just not there. And, like, in that time, I remember daily begging God to fix it, but it was, like, not me talking to God because I wasn't afraid of God. You know, God, why can't I get over this? Why can't I... Stop getting drunk. Why can't I do this? Why can't I stop being nasty to my wife? Why can't I? And this whole pile of stuff, and in the end, I wasn't confessing to anyone but me. And it wasn't until, like, I sat down with somebody who called me out on my behavior, and I said, all right, this is what's really going on with me. This is my hidden stuff. And I put it all out there that, like, I began to make progress toward overcoming sin. Because the more you hide it, the more you keep it hidden. The reality is, like, a lot of times we're not dealing with the real God. Like, and I don't want to be mean, and I don't want to be harsh, and I don't want to be all of these things. Um, but the reality is that, like, like I love you all, and I want to be real with you. Does that make sense? We serve a God who loves us. We serve a God who forgives readily. Um, we serve a God who hates sin. And we have to take that seriously. God will give you new life for free. Um, but walking in the light is the agreement, right? Like if you're going to have eternal life, if you're going to have new life, if you're going to be a new person, if you're going to be forgiven and made new, it means walking with Jesus. Um, and honestly, like that's the cool thing. I love y'all. I love like this, this body of Christ. I love these people here. There is nobody in this room I wouldn't sit down with and have like a frank conversation about what I'm struggling with. Not a one. There are people I do that with. Jimmy is wonderful because I get to sit down with Jimmy and say, this is how I'm struggling. And Jimmy you know, helps me out. But there are other people in my life that I do that with. Um, my challenge for you, first off, is are there folks you confess to? Are there folks you talk to? Are you walking in the light or are you sitting in the darkness hoping no one notices? Um, are you sitting in the darkness saying, well, this is pleasant. I'm happy it's so bright. Lying to yourself. This is a wonderful thing. And in reality, we're not where we want to be. Um, it's painful and it's hard. There's this new birth and like, like the scriptures talk about new birth being, or birth period being painful. Anybody ever watch a child being born? I joke about it. There ain't nothing in the world that would make me want to do that. <laughs> right? Nothing. Like I, I tease my wife about her 52 hours of labor and how it didn't seem that bad and you know, I was hard on me too. Like, that's nonsense. Like, that is hard. And the reality is that new life spiritually is hard. 
I watched a good friend recently, like, go through this process of, like, confession and stripping down and getting right with Jesus, like, like, and it was painful. But on the other end, I'll guarantee you that guy will stand up and say, it was worth it. Actually, because I've heard him say it. Um, and I'll tell you, in my own life, my own walking out of the mess that I was in was worth it. Because on the other end, I got this new life. I got to get along with my wife. I got to not be scared that people would figure out who I really am. I got to not pretend anymore. I got to not lie anymore. I got freedom from my death. And that's what John is talking about here. John is talking about this idea that in Christ we get this new life, right? Um, sometimes it begins with sitting down with a brother and saying, this is where I'm struggling. Like, if you have, if you have struggles that you've been lying to yourself about and, like, it's the same thing for 10 years now, and you're like, man, I hope nobody ever catches me. Then you need help, and like that's what we're here for. If you're miserable and every day is worth, worse than the last, and we ever go through that, by the way, every day is worse than the last, and you're like, if I tell people, they'll know I'm crazy, or they'll know I'm messed up, or they'll know that I'm this wicked person, or they'll know I suck, or they'll know that I, pardon me, sorry, um, <laughs> they'll know that sometimes I say things I shouldn't in sermons. Um, <laughs> if I confess and acknowledge this stuff, they'll just know. But I'm telling you that it's better. Digging out of that hole is worth it. Um, because it involves walking in the light. John is telling us, listen, people, walk in the light. Walk with Christ. Stand next to him. Be forgiven by the blood of his, of like, by his blood, like covered, washed, brand, brand new, made brand new. Like, the pain involved in the beginning is worth it. Um, actually, Paul calls it crucifying the flesh, right? He's, you know, that our sin has been crucified with Christ. And he talks about crucifying our flesh. I've never been crucified, but I know that the day that, the day that I sat down with my wife for the first time and unloaded all of this, like, secret stuff, I would rather have been nailed to a wall. Because saying it out loud is awful, right? But confession is powerful. It's cleansing. It makes us new. Um, and God is amazing that way. Um, it's like a breath of fresh air, right? I remember uh, when I was in Texas. Texas is um, hot, and and it's it's actually just hell. Like I I, I sorry, honey, but like like you go mid July, mid August in Houston, it's 110 percent humidity, and it's like 110 degrees, and there are ants that when they bite you, it hurts. Not just hurts, but like they inject poison when they bite you, and it hurts like times ten because Texas is is sometimes a little like hell. Um, and I'm not going to make a joke about my in-laws living there, so don't worry, honey. I'm being good. Uh, <laughs> I I worked all day. I worked for a, a company that we we sprayed termite poison around houses, and you had to dig these big trenches. And so like the company had us wear polyester slacks and long sleeve polyester shirt. Because I'm going to tell you, in 110 degree heat with a shovel digging a hole, that is a little slice of heaven. <laughs> sarcasm, sarcasm. <laughs> and I remember at the end of the day, like dust and everything else, and this guy would not give us water. Like, I'm out there digging, and the guy wouldn't, can we get some water? No, you know, he was a jerk. Anyway, um, at the end of the day, I remember going to a gas station. This is like 20 years ago. I, I bought a bottle of Avion. I didn't even like Avion. And I drank this like $12 a bottle of water, and it was like, it was like ice cream, right? Anybody ever been there? I know I'm talking to a room full of farmers. 
Um, this is what new life in Christ is, right? It is that moment of relief and cooling and escape. Um, feeling this new life, like being filled with Christ for the first time. Like this is a huge deal. And it's, it's amazing. It's painful up front. I had to spend $12 for a bottle of water. Um, it wasn't $12. It was expensive. It can be painful up front, but the, the other side is worth it. New life is worth it. Um, walking in the light is worth it. The problem with walking in the light, and I'm going to tell you this very honestly and very like bluntly, is um, it is really hard to hide stuff in bright rooms, right? When I was a teenager, I had really bad acne, um, which, you know, it, it just wasn't was what it was. We would travel a lot. Whenever we were in hotels, you ever been in a hotel bathroom and turn the light on? Yeah, it's like this extra sharp light, and it like brings out every imperfection. The problem with walking in the light is that your imperfections start showing up. That's one of the reasons people say the church is hypocritical. Because, like, we're walking in the light and our imperfections are obvious. You cannot hide it. If you believe you can hide sin, if you can believe you can live in wickedness, if you believe you can carry on this way, walk in the darkness while walking in the light, one foot in both sides, you're a little like me and my diet, right? It ain't working. You're just doing the hard work half the day because it's, you know ease your conscience, but you're going to jump right back into the old part. New life is worth it, but it's a hard beginning. Um, How do we apply this? Well, the obvious beginning is to ask yourself, what is my bitterness? I'll guarantee you, how many of y'all are furious at a political candidate you will never meet in your life right now, and every jerk who likes him or her? I didn't say him on purpose. It was, I am actually not taking a side because um, the reality is that, oh, how many of y'all are tired of the venom of all of it? That bitterness and that anger is not a product of walking in the light, folks. It's not. Um, how many of y'all are mad at somebody you haven't seen in more than 10 years? And if you are, are you hurting them? I remember there were people I hated I hadn't seen in decades. And I carried that anger around. It was a little like putting out rat poison and eating it myself. This will get them. Um, But it's a reality. Living in bitterness, living in anger. Look at your heart. Look at your soul. If you are not like walking in the light, like it's obvious. If there are parts of you that are hanging out in the darkness, it's obvious. These are the things that are not like the fruits of the Spirit. That's Galatians. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So list off the opposites and look for them. Um, actually, one of the things Bonhoeffer talked about is once we realize how bad our sin is and we bring it into our, the light, we become a lot less angry at other people, right? Become a lot less judgmental of other people because you know I'm bad too. You know, I, I don't think I've talked to quite a few of you all about difficult stuff, and I'm not putting you out there. I'm just saying, like, in general, and I, I, it's hard for me to be judgmental because I know I'm worse, right? My challenge for you today is to look to search. Are you lying to yourself? Are you walking in the light? Are you confessing to yourself instead of God? My challenge for you is to bring it out. Is to take it seriously. That's like jumping off a cliff, right? That's one of my favorite movie scenes, Indiana Jones, if you guys, The Last Crusade, where he has to take a leap of faith and he puts his foot out and he just kind of, and then all of a sudden there's a bridge there. Like, this is what it is like. Um, if you're carrying around sin, if you're carrying around brokenness, if you're dying inside, um, find someone to confess it to. 
Call me anytime, day or night. I'll sit down and talk to you. Bring it out. Bring it into the light and kill it. Right? Walk in the light with Christ. If you see other folks walking in the light, show them the light. Share it with them. Like, let it shine out of you. Let them wish that they had it. That's why I started going to church in the first place. I wanted whatever those people had. Um, we're going to close in prayer. And, like, again, I'm going to say this. Like, are you walking in the light? Are you new? Are you different? Are you alive? Or are you sitting in the dark dead, pretending that it's all okay? Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with us today. I pray that anybody who's here who is soaking in the dark, Lord, who's hiding out, who's, who's uh, anybody who the Holy Spirit's poking at them this morning and saying, hey, this is you. Anybody whose feet are sore because I stepped on their toes over and over again. Anybody who's like, like just in that spot, Lord God, I pray that your spirit would move and, 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 and bring them into the light. Help them to know that in Christ there is just free forgiveness and living water to quench our soul forever and ever, Lord, that we can't run far enough to escape you, Lord. I pray that you would give us Give us hearts that desire to be in the light with you. Give us eyes that, that focus only on you. Help us to be, be aware that you love us, Lord, but that you love us enough to not let us soak in our own brokenness and lostness. I praise you, Lord, for forgiving me. I praise you for forgiving the folks in this room who are yours, and I pray that you would move, just move in a mighty way in their hearts and lives. Um, pierce them through. Um, if, if they're hearing from you, Lord, I pray that they wouldn't walk away. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to close with a blessing, and I'll let you all go. And we're right on time, which is because I cut the sermon short, not because John and Hannah 